Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's going on, my people? It's Pastor Jay Harris. I'm so excited about my hoodie today. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't help but take advantage of the opportunity to kind of show it off. You know what I'm saying? Got the hoodie with the two pockets in the front, straight and narrow hoodie. Got the mask. You rock it out like this right here. You could just tuck this baby in, you know what I'm saying? And like make it disappear. Nobody even know you got it in there or whatever. And so, you know, keep your COVID free. You never, never forget your mask again. So starting off with a shameless plug this morning, whatever, straightandnarrow.com. You can get this hoodie. Straight and Narrow is operated by the Ville Church. Every single thing you do, spend, it goes 100% back into the ministry, whether it's support and staff, um, you know, personnel and, and, and what we do with teens, what we do inside a community, all of those different things. 100% of the funds helps us, you know, build sustainability and fund all of those different ministries. So that's that. I hope you like the hoodie. I really love it. It's warm too. Um, so check this out. This morning, we are going to be inside of John 3, 16, um, verses uh, 16 through 21. And um, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. And so if you got a pen and pad, go ahead and pull that out so you can keep up with me and write down some of the stuff. And I'm kind of going to just walk you through a journey. But, be, you know, before I do it, I want to give you some kind of context so we have the proper understanding as we make our way throughout this text. Right. So welcome to everyone who's joining us. Let's get it in. Starting off in Matthew 7, verse 21. I want to read this scripture to you. So it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. One of the reasons I'm jumping right in with this particular text right here is because I used to read this scripture back in the day and I didn't have an understanding of it. And I think a lot of believers don't have an understanding of it still even to this day. But it used to make me fearful. I used to read it. And when it comes to that part, and he says, you know, these people are like, hey, you know, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. I'm like, yo, these people putting in some serious work. I ain't cast out any demons lately or whatever. Right. They're doing their thing. But then it comes up and he says, yo, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And when I read that, I always understood it to read like, OK. I need to get on top of my works game. I need to start performing. I need to work harder. I need to be more Christian-y, whatever that meant in my mind, more religious, more devoted, all of these different things. And so it kind of set me in this posture where I was like, I'm going to go work really, really hard um, and try to please God or try to earn God's love or earn his favor or earn me a ticket into heaven is kind of the way it played out in my mind. And I believe it plays out in many people's mind like that, just based off the conversations I've had over the past several years, right? But this is not what the text is talking about. And I wanna read Romans 8 to you because I think Romans 8 kind of shines and elaborates on what this actually means. But Romans 8 says this right here. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because I definitely feel condemned when I used to read that other scripture, right? It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So he sent Jesus 
to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus is actually fulfilling that law, like he's making us no longer lawless because he's fulfilling the law, what God requires. The reason he's telling them, depart from me, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of that, right? And so it says, in order for the righteous requirement of the law that it might be uh, of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but in the spirit but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit and in verse 6 he says this for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh listen to this is hostile to god for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So quite frankly, if you take this, and I know this is a lot of text, that's why I want you to write it down, revisit, check me, make sure I'm on point, whatever, make sure you grasp a full understanding of it. If we, if we look at this verse in Romans 8, as it expounds on what we see on Matthew 7, he is not saying you depart from me because you, know, you weren't good enough and then you didn't meet the requirement of the law, right? He's saying that the fruit of your life is lawlessness because you actually never knew me. You don't, you, you don't know me. You don't know God. Like, we don't actually have a relationship. You have a form of godliness where you parade around in, in, in self-righteous religiosity, but you don't actually know me. And the fruit of your life is actually shows that, right? So, so it's, it's more so pointing to that. And... That's good news to actually know because it's like it takes the pressure off like, hey, like now I get that first part where he says there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because when we are actually following God, that means we're following his son, Jesus, and it means we are resting in the work of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the law. And so in this text today, what I'm going to do when I get into John 3.16 is like, I want to kind of get into a little bit more of an intricate space of what that actually means. Like what when we are actually, when we are in Christ Jesus, what is actually happening? What does that look like? And why does it actually not put us in a place where God would say, depart from us? What is happening in our hearts? What is the fruit of our actions? Like, what is God seeing that he's like, yeah, you, you, I know you. You understand what I'm saying? I know you. You understand? So I want to take us through that. So we're going to be in John 3, 16. So let me read this first part for you, and I'm going to just take it verse by verse. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I think we've heard that scripture so many times. It's been on a million Hallmark cards, and people love it because the scripture in itself is just lavish with grace by all means, right? And so in the text, there's a couple of things actually happening there. For one, we're seeing, we're seeing that God loved the world that was guilty and not deserving of his love. God, is he's given his only son for that world, which by all means opposes him, right? So he's lavishing his enemies with mercy and the, and the cost of that lavish mercy is his son dying on the cross, right? And we're also seeing his son, Jesus, whom we that believe called Savior and Lamb of God, in submission to God the Father's will, gave his life on the cross for the world that God loved, but did not and could not love him back without his majestical mercy, forgiveness, through appropriation by the way of Christ Jesus. So in this text, this John 3.16, we are seeing how much God loved the world, right? 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are seeing a great, magnificent, beautiful work happening, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So this salvation that we're talking about is a gift that God brings to us. He shines his light to our wretched, hard hearts, and he saves us, right? He saves us. And verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I love get going past John 3, 16, because the quote, because, because the verse, we, we, we speak it so much, we throw it out so fast, but most people have never like journeyed past it to, to get even a further context to even appreciate John 3, 16 in its full, fullness. So verse 17, once again, let me read it. It says, for God did not send the world, son, his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So we've been saved by grace. God doesn't show up and go, hey, depart from me. You ain't do enough works at all. The conversation is really about works. Works is just your fruit, right? If you know Jesus, then there's fruit that is coming out of your life from that relationship. If you're connected to the vine, then it's producing fruit in your life. But if you are not connected, there's nothing you can actually do or produce. You produce lawlessness is what it does or whatever. So when we look in this text, it is pointing to this it's pointing to this thing where it's like the condition of the world. What is the condition of the world if we actually need to be saved? So we don't, he's sending Jesus to save us, not to condemn us. So where are we at where we're condemned? Verse 18 tells us, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's referring to Jesus. So we, so, Jesus finds us in the state where sin has already ran rampant in the world and all of us are guilty and have fallen short before the Lord. All of us. Let me give you a quick example so you can get a good understanding of this because I think some people, they hear this and they go, you know, I haven't done anything wrong, whatever. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person and they run through this thing. God is the creator of the whole entire universe. Um, and I mean that in a way that our, our, our small minds can't even comprehend what that even means because we don't understand the, the, um, the width and length and depth of the universe and all the things in it. It's just too um, magnificent that we can't even put our minds around it, right? And so he created the whole entire universe. And we are in it and we are born in this perpetual place of self-righteousness, our way, idolatry of ourselves, in sin. We are warring against God. And to make it practical for you, it would be like if you owned a business and your business has a way they do things and they have values and they have ways that they have a mission and vision it wants to accomplish. And you started this business, you sit as the head and you lead it. And then you hire an employee and they're like, listen, I want to do it this way. And you're like, that's, that, that, that is one way to do it, but it's not the way that I mean for us to do it. And I'm actually the person who perpetuates the mission and vision here or whatever. So if I hire somebody, I expect them to implement the will of the company or whatever, right? And then they're like, no, I'm not going to do it. You would count that person. You would say, you can't work for me because you're actually rebellious. You're actually rebellion, rebelling against us. We're trying to go this way and you're trying to go this way. Now you can go somewhere else and start your own company and do whatever you want to do. But if you're here, you're rebelling against us. And that's kind of a microcosm of the macro kind of picture of how we stand before God in our sin. 
Romans 3 says it like this right here, verse 10. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is speaking to the condition of mankind. And when I hear this, I want to be like, you know, yeah, that's a little harsh, God. Like, I haven't had any venom of asp up under my lips lately. You know what I'm saying? So I, 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 and there's ways that I want to remove myself from this picture of sinfulness and brokenness and rebelliousness and be like, no, nah, that's not me. But the text, the scripture is telling us this is us and it's saying this is the condition of mankind. It's what we see throughout the biblical text. So that brings us to verse 19 through 20. I want to take you through this. Verse 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And verse 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plain, plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God, right? So let's let's break this down. Starting off, there's this verdict. He he goes through John 3:16 and then he sums up. He says, This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the light to shine on their deeds, right? We look at another place in John, it says, says, Hey, it says, if you walk into the light, it says, if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all of your sins. So God is like, he's like, he comes into a condemned world to save it. So the fact that we are full of sin in that Romans um, 3 verse 10, uh, you know, and so on hits us dead on the head. That is a problem, of course, because it puts us outside of the will of God and also in line for judgment and, and recipients of his holy wrath. But the fact of the matter is Jesus came in the world to draw us into the light. But the issue, even in what John is saying in there, he's saying, if you come in the light, the blood of Jesus will wipe away all of your sins. So God has come to save us from our sins. It's a matter of crossing over into the light. But to cross over into the light means we got to swallow Romans 3 whole. It means that the truth becomes that God is true and every man a liar. All of us liars. That be, that, th this becomes the battle here. And that's what the text is showing us. It says, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So what is this truth in the light, right? We know it's Jesus, whatever, but let's look at some scriptures. John 14, 6 says this. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have Jesus. He proclaims himself to be the truth, the embodiment of the truth. He says he is the word, the living word also, right? So in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
So Jesus is true and his word is true, right? John Piper says it like this right here. He gave a great example. He says, when he comes, talking about Jesus, the truth about all things come. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about the way of salvation. The truth about what is good and beautiful. The truth about evil and ugliness. The truth about how we ought to live. All right thinking and all right feeling and all right doing is defined and measured by Jesus. That is some of what it means to be the light of the world, end of quote. So this is the thing about the light. The light injures a blow to our pride and self-righteousness because it exposes the lie. It exposes that we aren't as sweet as we think we are. We aren't as loving as we think we are. We aren't as right as we think we are. We aren't as strong as we would like others to think. We even in good intention, with good intentions are catastrophically wrong often even daily the gig is up on our on our on this on this lie of having it all together we need help and we need a savior and god sends his son jesus as a savior as a sacrificial lamb because god as judge is not going to let the wickedness of this world just go by He's not going to turn a blind eye to it. He's not that kind of judge, right? He's not that kind of judge. And oh, in our mind, we would love for it to be like, hey, God, just, just make it all just go away or whatever and stuff and everything else or whatever. And essentially he does, but it's not without a cost, right? If somebody killed one of your family members and the judge just lets them walk free, you would be like, that is not justice. That is wrong. You want them to pay. If you could get a deep look on sex trafficking, you would say, I want them to pay. After you sit and stand with a mother whose son has been killed in the streets, you would say, I want these people to pay for what they have done because it would mean justice. God is a just God. So he wipes your sin away. But the judgment, he just whatever. He takes his wrath and he puts it on his son, Jesus, on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God. We worship him and we praise him because, and we say Lamb of God when we sing to him because all of our sins who are called to Jesus Christ have been laid on Jesus. We are wretched with sin. He is spotless. He is spotless. He is holy. He is perfect. He does not know sin. He has not tasted of it. He has not done it. The only time he swallowed it whole is when he was on the cross and God was pouring down his wrath and disdain and judgment for sin in our place. And this is why the blood of Jesus covers our sins, because he paid the cost. So the light it injures us because it's a blow to our pride and our self-righteousness. But God, when he saves us, he graces us. This truth, this truth of Jesus is that Jesus is true and we are a liar. So this is what's happening in the light is that the truth of Jesus, that as we marvel and we relish in it, it's always bringing us in the light because all of our thoughts that are in the darkness, all of our ways we try to protect ourselves and make ourselves innocent and not guilty, they get exposed, right? It is a miracle when I'm fussing with my wife over something 
and I'm not lying, trying to defend myself and make it like I'm flawless and I was never wrong. But when I go, babe, you're right. You're right. I was wrong in that situation. Please forgive me. That is a gift from God. The fact that with my kids, I saw somebody post the other day said, yo, do y'all apologize to the kids? I said, 100% most definitely. It is a gift from God. I always thought you stomped your foot and you said my way or the highway. And I thought as a parent, you can't get caught being wrong. But my God, it is a gift to be able to walk in the light and be wrong and be able to apologize and then not have to bear the hurts of just being crushed by my dictatorship, right? But uh, God, that, that is something that God gave me. That's not just me. I'm not just talking about like, oh, this is the way Jay does it. Nah, Jay's a wretch with it. But it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of what God has done in my life. It is the, it is the, is the idea of his truth. It's swallowing my lie whole, right? It's graciousness with humility, right? This dark room, I want to give you an example of, so you can get this concept of being in the dark versus being in the light and what's happening in the light, right? I want you to imagine you are standing outside of a room and you're looking at somebody who's in a pitch pitch black room. And you can, you can see in there, right? You got the little infrared goggles and you're peeping them out and you're talking to them. You're like, yo, homie, yo, you you in darkness or whatever. And they're like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good, B. I, I got this or whatever. I kind of, I got my whole feel in touch or whatever and stuff. I kind of like... I can feel everything. I know where everything's at or whatever, you know, and you're kind of watching them and you're like, bro, like, you know, you just took a, you know, you just took your, your box of frozen popsicles and you thought you would put them in the fridge, but you just put them in the microwave, you know, and, 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 and matter of fact, I think you just think you poured a cup of Kool-Aid, but you actually poured some Clorox in a glass. Like they're so blind. They don't even realize that they are actually stumbling. Proverbs 4.19 says this, it says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So you're watching this person in the room and they are just stumbling royally all over the place and can't seem to get it together, right? They're stumbling. And you, you tell them, you proclaim some good news to them. The good news you proclaim to them is say, hey, there's a light. There's a light that will cause you to be able to see what is actually happening, right? You understand? Like the gospel means good news. And the reason it's good news is because when God does something in your heart to let you know you're in darkness, you're like, there's light? Yeah, Jesus is the light. He's the truth. He's the way. So it's good news to you. But if you refuse to know you're in darkness, then it's not good news. So you just trample over this magnificent news. Same thing with this person in the room. You tell them there's a light in the room and they trample over because they actually love the darkness. Their pride is making excuses for them. So they're going to stay inside of it. But the person who actually receives and hears, they're like, what you mean is a light switch? Brother, it's a light switch over here. Reach up. You'll feel the string. The light is the truth. They hit the string and then all of a sudden the light is on and it's illuminating. They're like, my God, I was about to drink this Korox. It would have surely killed me. But now I can see. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's what God is doing. He's looking to pull us out of the darkness and into the light. And he does it through Jesus Christ. He takes his truth and he exalts it over us and it shines a light on us in everything we do. Right? Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path. When I came to Jesus several years ago, man, I went to the altar and 
I said a prayer with somebody. I was on my way to go murder somebody. God spoke to me as I left out of the church running from the altar call because I hated to hear the altar call. Bust back in the church with my girlfriend, who's now my wife now. Thank Jesus. And we go to the front and we're praying. And I'm so condemned I can't even receive the prayer that we're praying or whatever. And then um, I was an alcoholic at the time. Nobody knew about it. And I was trying to, I thought I was too cool to even let anybody knew, know or whatever. But it was eating me alive. And the guy says, he says, man, he said, I used to be an alcoholic. You know, a crackhead, you talk to another crackhead, they always, they already, they always know if they really, really was out there just by the words. They'd be like, oh, you was out here like hitting them streets like he was on the bottom. i like, we, okay, we, we understand. Same thing I felt about him. When he started talking about being an alcoholic, I was like, oh, oh, this brother knows what it is. He knows what dealing with this demon is for real. And I was like, so what happened to you? You looking all good and you got your suit and everything. He's like, yo, God saved me, man. It's my wife next to me praying with your wife. This is literally what happened. And for some reason, when he said that, all of the condemnation and the stuff that felt like a roadblock in the moment, it's like the spirit of God just flooded in. And the prayer I said afterwards was like, it was like, I was like, God, like, kill the old me. I'm going to kill me. Like, like, like I'm I'm wicked and I know it and I'm in darkness and I know it. It's like I like I had this, like the scales fell literally off my eyes, it felt like, and I could see all of a sudden. But here's the thing. I had been to I had been to Christian school before. I had Grandma had drugged me to church. My mama made me go to church. We prayed at home. I knew all of that stuff. I couldn't hear what you said. Siri, listen, just sit down and take notes and listen to the sermon. Did y'all hear that? Anyway, she's listening to the sermon. But peep this out. I had done all this. I had said the prayer a million times. But every time I said the prayer over my life, and I'm talking about going from being a little boy up until the time I found Jesus, it was always this thing where it's like, I wanted like hell insurance. Like I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be the people in, 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 in Matthew 7 and you'd be like, depart from me. So it was like that was my motivation. The other part was, okay, you know, everybody like it just seems like this is a thing you're supposed to do. But really what I wanted, I wanted God to take his truth, add it to my truth, and then just bless everything I do. I wanted to be bulletproof. I wanted whatever I do just to be awesome. But I wanted to define awesome. I wanted my sin to not really be sin. And I wanted God to just you know, bless a brother and, and all that. I want to use him, right? But that day, he graced me with this clarity. And that day I declared, said, God, you are true and I'm a liar. That was the first time that ever happened. I was like, everything inside of me that is at war with you needs to die. My pride, my ego, the way I'm enchained to what other people think. These, the, all my friends that that have all all, all their opinions in, in the in the roadblock that that makes me want to spit at this altar call because my it means I have to die. It means that I am guilty. It means I'm in darkness if I submit to it. Man, I asked him to knock that whole wall. I said, "Yo, kill kill the old me." I literally thought that when you got saved, that God turned you into like Urkel or something like that. I know that sounds silly, but. But I didn't care. I was like, God, I'll be whatever you want to because what I am is wicked and I can't be that no more. And now that day, everything was different. It wasn't like before. My life changed from then and, and the fruit of my life has not been lost. And it's not that I don't sin. It's not that 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 old me doesn't feel like it's a million miles away. It feels like it's right around, right over here, right next to me. But the Holy Spirit, man, God's faithfulness is out of this world. Same thoughts still come through my head, but God, the truth, 
the light is beating out the darkness and it's making fruit. It's letting me out. I can't even have a wife without Jesus. I can't have any kids. It's going to be tragic if there's no Jesus for me. I know what I am. You understand? I know what I am. I know what I do. Without Jesus, I'm a full-blown criminal. This is what it is. And you may not want to accept it, but I accept it. Jesus is salvation. It's the only reason. Said light produces fruit. And what it does, it gives us a contrite heart. It gives us conviction. The Holy Spirit is pointing us to truth continually. It's pointing us to Jesus continually. It's gracing us with conviction. Our walk with Christ from the moment you come to him that you keep to the day you die. It is sanctification. Our maturity and our growth is not this thing where you become, you start floating and levitating in the air and you can fathom all mysteries and you just know everything in the world and you never make mistakes and you're so holy in righteousness. No, it looks like us bowing our head further and further in humility. It's, it looks like us screaming louder, God, you are true and we are liars. And the only truth we know is, is, is what we know through your son, Jesus. We are more and more able to digest Romans 3 verses 10 and downward or whatever, right? We're, we're able to digest it more because life is teaching us that God graces us, that we're able to see our sin, admit it. We're able to be honest about our thoughts. We're able to be honest about our emotions. It feels like freedom to tell the truth and then to know God's mercy as we walk in the light. The blood of Jesus, it covers our sins. We don't got to tuck them away. We don't got to hide. My brother, Pastor Rodney, after I preached this sermon the other day, he came up and he talked about, about the scripture or whatever. I don't have it with me today, but I preached it a million times. But, he, but, but we see where the Pharisee is in the temple and the Pharisee comes before the altar and he says, God, thank you. I'm not like all of these other people. I give tithes and he runs off his resume of all the awesome things he does. And then it says a sinner comes up behind him and he won't even come up to the altar because he feels so wretched and dirty and unclean. And he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. How many of y'all know somebody that needs to hear this? This text says that God forgave him. He says he is the one who is going to go home justified. So he didn't get rejected because his resume wasn't long and strong, right? He didn't get rejected for that. He got received because his resume was nothing. He said, uh, he said God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God wants your contrite heart. He says in his word, he will not despise. He will not despise a contrite heart. Let me give you a contrite definition. Caused or showing sincere remorse, filled with the sense of guilt and the desire for atonement and penitent, right? The, 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 the contrite heart postures us. It's not condemned. So it's like not God, you know, I'm just a wretch and you just don't love me and I'm just whatever. It's God, I'm a wretch. I need your mercy and grace. It makes you lean into the Father. It builds relationship. It gets you out of pretend mode. It saves you from the Matthew 7 complex where you're walking around doing all of these different things and you're a million miles away from God. Don't even know him. I don't, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. 
Verse 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I'm going to close with this really quick. If you take this text to get a better understanding of it, it's easier to understand what it really means if you read it kind of backwards, if you flip it. And what I mean by this is this. You could read it and you could say, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And you could think it's a, it, once again, you could think it's, okay, I need to live by the truth and I need to walk in the light so everybody can see that what I'm doing is certified by God, right? That's not a bad way of, of thinking per se, but it could be dangerous and we won't get into that right now. But the text, when you begin to break down some of the meaning of the words, and I have three translations or whatever, but I'm going to go with Young's literal translation because I feel like it's more dead on the point. It says, but he who is doing the truth doth come to the light that his works may be manifested that in God they are having been wrought. The word wrought, American Standard Version uses the word um, wrought as well. It means that it's worked into shape. It means something elaborately embellished. It means processed for use. It means beaten into shape. So basically what the text is actually saying, if you flip it around, it says that it may be seen plainly that they may, that what they have been done has been done in the sight of God or wrought by God. They live by the truth or they come into the light. It's a better way to try to understand how the, trans the translation originally lands because it's talking about how God does the work. God is processing you and doing this thing in your life where he puts you to the truth. He, 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 he points you to the truth. The Holy Spirit is always pointing you to Jesus and the work of Jesus. That work is also always reigning and ruling over your life as truth and shining a light on our wrong, which is perpetuating fruit. Instead of going to grab the Clorox to drink instead of the Kool-Aid because we're in darkness, his truth, the light shines, and now we're able to see and distinguish. Nah, this ain't God's way. This ain't truth. That's Clorox, my G. We looking for the Kool-Aid. I know that I know that my um I've been told that sometimes my examples get a little silly, but y'all get my drift. You get where I'm coming from, right? So that's what the text is saying. It says that our grabbing on the truth is number one, it's a gift from God that we could even know truth come near truth, that truth would come near us. It's the grace and mercy of God. And that truth, when it reigns over us, brings us into the light. I want to give you a quick example. You look at King David in the Bible, after he killed Uriah so he could take his wife, um, Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan comes to him and he gives him this story about this rich guy who, who, who and this poor guy. And he says, this poor guy, he had this one little lamb and he loved this lamb or whatever. You know, he loved it, took care of it, treated it like it was his own kid. And then he said, this rich guy, he had plenty of lambs and flocks and all that, but he had some guests coming in town and he didn't want to kill one of his lambs. So he went and grabbed the poor man's lamb. The poor man loved the lamb and he took his lamb to serve to his guests. And David, he hears the story. He's infuriated. He says, yo, sure as the Lord lives, this guy's going to die today. So you got to die for this one. That was wicked. And then the prophet Nathan says, David, that person is you. He said, you kill Uriah. You send him to the front line to die on purpose. You took his wife. You sinned against God. And then Nathan goes on to pronounce the judgment that was going to fall on David. And David's first response is, I have sinned against God. 
David slid in the darkness. The prophet Nathan shined a light on it, and David repented. He didn't say, nah, nah, I didn't go down like that. Nah, you don't understand, no. Oh, she came in me, man. Like, you know, I was just on the joint, whatever. She, she bathed in broad daylight, bro. So he didn't go into all of that. It's like the guy at the temple. I have sinned. I have sinned. But we see Jesus with the disciples, right? Jesus tells the disciples, and I want you to hear this. He tells the disciples, he says, listen. He says, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me. He tells the disciples, he says, they're going to come get me and all of y'all are going to scatter. We often talk about Peter, but all of the disciples said, nah, nah, Jesus, we ain't going to leave you. Not us. All of them said that. Sure enough, for the rooster crows, Peter denies Jesus three times. The disciples, they scatter everywhere like roaches, right, with the light on. Pun intended, right? The disciples were sitting in proximity. They were laying on this Jesus' shoulder. He said, yo, who do y'all say I am? They said, yo, the son of God. They knew him. They talked to him. They saw the miracles. They watched things that we can't even comprehend. They know things we can't comprehend. Nevertheless, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is having to arm wrestle with their righteousness. He can't even look at them and tell them, you're going to sin against me. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, not me. No, nah, not me. They can't even comprehend. They, they can't even receive it. And I tell you this or whatever, because, you know, Jesus went on. They, they, they scattered. Jesus dies on the cross. He raises three days later, and he goes, and he is with all of them, regardless of their sin. He, he, he was on the cross for them. They weren't in this elite group where they, they, they're rocking with them and everybody else out there needs it. Pastors, preachers, people who serve in the church. Your grandma who's been reading the Bible in a, in a chair in the living room for the last 40 years, you've seen her. Nobody's in an elite group where they don't need this. We got to drink the Kool-Aid too. We need the Kool-Aid or we're dead. You understand? It's the gospel that saves us. And the gospel requires that God is true. We are liars. And it's the only way we enter in through the truth of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins to atone for the wretchedness of our sins. It's a gift. We're filthy rich on our worst day. We're content. We can be content. This world is going to pass away. You may stumble through it. You may never get what you want. You may never do what you want. You may endure so much suffering, but you will be in eternal bliss with Christ Jesus because of what God sent his son Jesus to do on the cross for me and you, saving us from condemnation, saving us from darkness, and bringing us into the light. The church is called to be a community of contrite believers. Followers of Jesus want the light to shine on them because it's the way that we grow. It's the way that we grow, right? We want God to be tender with us. We don't God, want God to expose us and shame us. But like we want God to purge the darkness out, out of us. And one of the ways he does it is that when we come into fellowship with each other and fellowship with him, we confess our sins. We walk in the light. And he is sure 
Maybe mankind will shake their finger at you. Maybe they'll condemn you. But God, he will not tell you to part from me. He will not despise a, a contrite heart. He will not shame you. He will lavish you with mercy and grace when nobody else will. That's my sermon for today's Pastor Jay Harris, The Ville Church. I pray that this message and this word um, touches your heart. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and we just leave that to, you know, to the Holy Spirit for God to do what he does. But, hey, if you have friends or people you know you love that, they could, that you think they would benefit from this message, you know, hit the button in the corner and share it with them. Send it over to them, message it to them, all of that stuff, all right? Yo, we love you. I pray until the next time we see you. Peace. God bless you. Bill Church signing out. Pastor Jay Harris. Easy.